In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we've got some carb-heavy preaching for you. A carb-heavy service. We're not on a diet today. Today, we celebrate the feast of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, the Eucharist, Holy Communion. It is a feast that celebrates God's grace in the way that God works to save, sanctify, and nourish us. Indeed, carbs give us energy. Marathon runners will carbo-load before their big race. The Feast of Corpus Christi is a feast from the Middle Ages, probably at the latest from the late 12th century. And so we're looking at a nearly 1,000-year-old feast, at least. The feast celebrates God's free gift of grace and his unconditional love in our Lord Jesus Christ, offered to all. It's a feast that celebrates God being God and working how God wants, taking the initiative to save us. In short, we might say the Feast of Corpus Christi celebrates our extraordinary God working through the ordinary. We see in the Feast of Corpus Christi the ordinariness of the gospel. Jesus does not say, I am the living firework. He does not say, I am the living eagle, or think of the grandest thing you can think of. He says, I am the living bread. Bread is something that every culture really has in common as something ordinary that feeds us and nourishes us. That is the powerful thing about the gospel, that our extraordinary God works through ordinary means, that God's grace comes to us not through fireworks, not through grand things, but through the ordinary. And so this morning, as we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, we celebrate God taking something ordinary and working extraordinary things through it. And by grace, this is what he does with you and with me. Religion, and by this I mean man-made religion, works in the opposite direction. Religion is about taking ordinary things and trying to make them extraordinary. Religion is about, as the famous German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach caricatured it, humanity writ large. Religion is, look at that tree, look at that planet. Let's make it extraordinary. It's a god. It has the divine in it. We could begin and end with the Roman pantheon of gods. They took humans and very human characteristics and made them into gods, doing all the things that humans do, but on a much higher scale, much larger scale. But the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we celebrate this morning in the Feast of Corpus Christi is that our extraordinary God takes his extraordinariness 
and brings it to us ordinarily and in ordinary ways and means. And he meets us right where we are at because we're ordinary. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus says, My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And then he says that God will take our ordinariness and raise us up to the extraordinary on the last day. It's notable that we don't see the Last Supper being recorded in the Gospel of John. Our lesson this morning in John 6 is the closest thing we get to it in John's Gospel. And interestingly, notably, it's placed by John in his Gospel long before Jesus' death. And I think we can draw a few conclusions from that, but the most important one is that Jesus was speaking Eucharistically. He was speaking about his flesh and our eating his flesh, giving us eternal life through the Eucharist. He was speaking about this all throughout his ministry. The Last Supper is not the first time that he begins to talk like that. And so, when we see this referenced in Paul, as in our epistle lesson, and we see it referenced in the synoptic gospels at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, it's likely that Jesus had been talking about the Eucharist, and the Eucharistic concept had been driving his whole ministry in many ways, all throughout his ministry, throughout Judea, throughout Galilee. He had been talking about bread and wine being turned into his body and blood to give us life, all throughout his ministry. And so the point being, really, is that one aspect of the Eucharist, indeed, is that it is a Passover meal or a fulfillment of the Passover meal. We have the bread and the wine. We have the remembrance of God delivering his people from slavery to the Egyptians. But that's not the entirety of what's going on in the Eucharist. That's not the entirety, certainly, of what St. John had in mind in his gospel in our lesson this morning. In John, Jesus is inventing an entirely new religious rite. Something like this has not been done before. It has Old Testament connotations, Old Testament allusions, to be sure. We've got allusions to the manna coming from heaven. We've got allusions to the temple rite, and indeed allusions to Passover. However, the manna was still like bread. It was still a substance that actually was a a physical kind of fulfillment, right? It was feeding the people. They were hungry. They needed food, a substance on the ground. It was miraculous to be sure, but it was not sacramental per se. It was not a mystery. The substance of the manna was not God himself, like we see in the Eucharist. And indeed, Jesus miraculously used bread to feed people throughout his ministry. We can think of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. But indeed, it was still bread down to the last atom. But now, this idea that we're hearing in the gospel this morning, this is my body, this is my blood, this is genuinely shocking. You can see the shock in the gospel lesson. The Jews were shocked when they heard it. They said, how can this be? And frankly, it sounds cannibalistic. 
And indeed, the Romans understood it that way in their day, when they heard about the Christians eating the body and blood of Jesus. They persecuted the Christians for being cannibals. And indeed, Jesus is meaning what he's saying to be shocking. You don't eat the blood of a sacrifice, and he's calling himself a sacrifice here. You drain the blood of a sacrifice. Everybody would have known that. And indeed, eating human flesh is shocking. And perhaps even more shocking here is that Jesus is talking about himself as a sacrifice. He is saying, I am the sacrificial lamb. You need to accept this sacrifice that I am offering. You need to take it in personally, literally ingest it. It's a statement of need. Jesus is saying, we all have an emptiness that is filled by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Christ's sacrifice needs to be incorporated into us. Jesus says it as plainly as can be. If you eat this bread, you will live forever. And that's why in our tradition, our Anglican tradition, if you're not baptized, you don't eat. We're not talking about a fellowship meal here. We're talking about the body and blood of God incarnate. An outward and visible sign of an invisible grace. We're eating the flesh and blood of a person. And so it is for Christians, for those within the church. We saw that Paul took it very seriously for that reason in our epistle lesson this morning. And so we see in communion, in what Jesus says in the gospel lesson this morning, that our extraordinary God is working his extraordinary salvation through ordinary bread and through ordinary wine. And celebrating today the feast of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, the Eucharist, Holy Communion, we celebrate God doing just this. We celebrate God healing, God offering grace and salvation through ordinary bread and wine. These are not arbitrary things. Bread and wine are, as we say in our liturgy, meat and right. They nourish, they sustain, they give life. Indeed, like the manna in the wilderness, God is providing for us, but on a whole nother level. And indeed, like the bloody sacrifices in the temple, they say, the Eucharist embodies all of this, and so it is appropriate that God would use bread and wine to give us eternal life. The Feast of Corpus Christi is indeed a long-standing tradition in the church, with, as I mentioned, nearly 1,000 years or more of a tradition behind it. And the Anglican tradition, the Episcopal tradition, well, we have a strong emphasis on the Eucharist as well. You need only spend a few minutes or a few days in the Cathedral of All Saints here, and you'll notice that we take communion very, very seriously. We celebrate Mass every weekday at 12.05. It's the high point of our service on Sundays and, indeed, throughout the week. It's the culmination. Contrasted to other traditions who take, say, worship or the sermon as the center of the service. We think that the Eucharist 
the Mass, Holy Communion, is the heart, the center of what we're doing and what we should be doing. This emphasis goes all the way back to pre-Reformation England, and it runs right through the English Reformation and, indeed, the early centuries of Anglican history. But it was emphasized and clarified and perhaps most clearly articulated by a group of Anglicans known as the Oxford Fathers, part of the Oxford movement in which our cathedral stands squarely, a tradition that we come out of. They were a group, these Oxford Fathers, of Anglican clergymen associated with the University of Oxford in the 19th century. Perhaps the best and clearest theologian on the Eucharist amongst the Oxford Fathers, and certainly I would say my favorite who writes on the matter and preaches on the matter, was a professor of Hebrew at the University of Oxford called E.B. Pusey. Pusey articulated more clearly, I think, than any of the other Oxford Fathers, and indeed almost more clearly than anybody, I think, that the Holy Eucharist offers salvation to people who need it. It offers nourishment to those who are hungry. And through the ordinary things of bread and wine, it offers the extraordinary salvation of God and his grace and his mercy. And for Pusey, we turn to the Holy Eucharist, not as perfect saints, but as penitents in need of comfort. In his wonderful sermon, the Holy Eucharist, a comfort to the penitent, preached in Oxford's cathedral in the mid-19th century, Pusey says this, Baptism gives life. The Holy Eucharist preserves and enlarges life. Baptism engrafts into the true vine. The Holy Eucharist derives the richness and fullness of his life into the branches thus engrafted. Baptism buries us in Christ's tomb, and through it he quickens us with his life. And the Holy Eucharist is given not to the dead, but to the living. Pusey's point in this sermon was twofold. First, that the Eucharist strengthens our life in Christ, and second, that the Eucharist contains within itself the power of forgiveness. Pusey understood so clearly that through ordinary bread and wine, God brings salvation. He brings comfort for us penitents. Ordinary bread and wine are used to deliver God's salvation, his comfort, his sanctification, his hope, used to deliver Christ and indeed God himself to us. We receive God in the Holy Eucharist into our bones and into our sinews. As Irenaeus says in the second century, ordinary bread from the earth receiving the invocation of God is no longer common bread, but the Eucharist consisting of two things, the earthly and the heavenly. This is why the Anglican, especially the Episcopal tradition, Scottish Episcopal and American Episcopal tradition, brought back the so-called epiclesis, the invocation of the Holy Spirit upon the elements, something that was not, at least not consistently, in the medieval Latin Mass. For Pusey, baptism is for incorporation. The Eucharist is for perseverance. 
But as each of us here this morning knows so well, sin is an awful reality in each one of our lives. And this is what the Eucharist is for. As Pusey says at the end of his wonderful sermon, we deserve hell, but in the Eucharist, we have the appetizer of heaven. This is why the ancient theologians and churchmen insisted again and again that the best thing for the Christian is regular and frequent communion. All of the ancient liturgies declare with one voice that in the Holy Eucharist we have the forgiveness of sins. And embodying all this and more, Pusey says, the Holy Eucharist is our comfort. And indeed, as many of the ancient fathers and many of the reformers, such as Calvin, John Calvin, said, the Eucharist is converting. It's a converting sacrament. And so we come to the Eucharist as diseased sinners in need of medicine from our great physician. The Eucharist is, as St. Ignatius writes in the second century, the medicine of immortality, the only antidote to eternal life. And so we receive salvation in the Eucharist. It's not because bread and wine saves us. It's because God saves us. God has become incarnate in Jesus Christ, and he saves us through that and through his creation. And because he says, this is my body and this is my blood, he has deigned to communicate this extraordinary incarnational salvation and grace to us through ordinary bread and ordinary wine. And so, to conclude this morning, we penitents who are sorrowful for our sin can and should and must turn to the Holy Eucharist, to the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, for our comfort, for our salvation. And when we turn to what appears to be ordinary bread and wine, we may be sure that God is really working through it in our souls. As the great Robert Bruce preached in Edinburgh in the 16th century, in Holy Communion, God is as busy working inwardly in our souls as the celebrant is working outwardly in regards to our body. See how busy the celebrant is breaking the bread, in pouring the wine, in giving the bread and wine to us. Christ is just as busy in breaking his own body unto you and in giving you the juice of his own body in a spiritual and an invisible way. And so, this morning, as we celebrate Corpus Christi in our songs, in our hymns, in our Eucharistic adoration, and primarily as we partake of Holy Communion, gaze upon and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and know that God loves you. Christ gives himself for you. In that, it is in the Corpus Christi, in the body of Christ, that we receive our salvation, our comfort, and our healing. And that through ordinary bread and wine, God saves us by his grace with Christ's body and blood. And as you are healed by it, you, ordinary, wonderful creature of God, are transformed 
into a bearer of Christ, a bearer of God, sent out into the world to do the extraordinary things of our extraordinary God. And in this, I think God works the greatest miracle of all, taking us ordinary creatures and making us bearers of the extraordinary God and using us by his Holy Spirit to do the extraordinary kingdom works that he has deigned from eternity to work through each one of us. Amen.